Thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. We are a Jesus-centered community in El Mirage, Arizona. We hope through these conversations your spirit will be stirred. For more information, you can visit our website at www.revealvineyard.com. Well, we are on week three of a series that we've called We Wish You a Messy Christmas. And why a messy Christmas? Well, because typically Christmas is a time uh, of year where we kind of gloss over the mess. It can be described as a 25-day airbrush session where we kind of gloss over the imperfections of life. Crazy is packed up and put into the attic and the house is decorated and the tree is trimmed and packages are placed neatly under the tree and it's peace on earth, goodwill towards men, silent night type of Christmas. The problem is is that if we look at the very first Christmas story, it was really anything but silent. It was rather messy. It was the mess of a virgin being with child. I'll try to explain that one to your family and friends. It was the mess of Joseph trying to figure out, does he stay with his fiancee who is now pregnant and he's never touched her? The mess of God making his appearance through a birth canal, that's messy. It's the mess of God going through the entire human life cycle from uh, conception to birth to being a toddler, adolescence, adulthood, and then a, a, a premature, painful death. Everything surrounding the story is rather messy. There's really nothing in the first Christmas story that is neat and tidy. It's almost as if God is communicating to us that he is comfortable in the mess. That, and this is what I love about the Christmas story is that the miracle of Christmas is that God loves messy people, which is great news for all of us who believe that we are messy people, like myself, that Jesus repeatedly uh, said that he came uh, for those who the rest of the world has forgotten. Time and time again, we see in Scripture that God is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. We could say that he saves those who are messy. Jesus did not establish himself with the nobility or the rich or the famous. Instead, he went after the forgotten and the abused and the sick and the struggling, those who are making bad decisions. And he continues to go after those with dysfunctions and hang-ups and who struggle with depression and anxiety. Matter of fact, at one point when Jesus was asked, why are you spending so much time around messy people? He gave this reply. He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. We could paraphrase that today, but Jesus is saying, I didn't call to come people who are tidy. I've come to call those who are messy. Jesus came and set up camp in the center of the island of misfit toys, looked around at all the broken toys and said, you're my people. And so if you ever felt like you were partially broken or living on the island, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Jesus came for you. And this is the wonder of Christmas. Not that, not only that God walked among humans, but that he came for humans who humans rejected. That's the beauty of Christmas. Not only that God stepped into humanity, but he came for those who humanity rejected. And time and time again we see this. And if you're struggling today, if you feel that your life is messy, the good news is God is not running away from you. God is running to you because he's comfortable in the mess. So today we're going to continue our topic uh, of our We Wish You a Messy Christmas with a message I've titled uh, Messy Worship. And I want us to talk about what worship is exactly, what it looks like, how it functions. Here's a working definition we're going to have today. Worship is positioning yourself 
to be where God wants you to be and to do what God wants you to do. In other words, worship is altering your life to be involved in kingdom activity. Listen, anytime that you position yourself in such a way to be involved with activities that point to Jesus, you are worshiping. Worshiping is positioning yourself to be where God wants you to be or to do what God wants you to do. Anytime you're, you alter your life to position yourself to be involved in something that points to Jesus, you are worshiping. But worship doesn't come easy. And for most of us, it doesn't come naturally. It's not spotless and, and orderly. Worship is often messy, and it requires really messy decisions that we have to make if we're going to participate in worship. And so for our time together, I want us to unpack this a little bit and look at messy worship. Join me today as we pray. Just ask God to speak to you. Just take a moment and just speak beyond my words. Ask that the Holy Spirit of God would come and speak into your life. Ask that God would point to you in the direction that you should go. Just kind of open yourself up to the move of God today. And Father, I pray that you would speak to us through your word and through your truth and that you would challenge us and transform us and change us. That you would be everything to us. That you would be God in our sleeping and in our waking, in our work and in our play, in our speech. That you would begin to have more influence over our beings, over our decisions, over our lives. That even through our giving, that it would be an attitude of worship, placing you at the center of all things in our life. So we invite you to speak to us in ways that no one else can. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2 as we look at the Christmas story through the eyes of the Magi. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod. Now, whenever you hear King Herod, that's a boo moment, all right? King Herod is kind of a bad guy. So during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east uh, and they came to Jerusalem and they asked, where is the one who has uh, been born the king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. Now, the Magi, otherwise known as the three wise men, sometimes known as we three kings of Orient are, there's a lot about the Christmas story that we're unsure of because Matthew's account is rather vague and it's shrouded in mystery. As a result, there's been numerous things that have been worked into our Christmas tradition that isn't necessarily accurate. Not necessarily bad, but it may not be accurate. For example, these guys probably were not kings. I know we sing it, we three kings of Orient are. But they probably weren't kings. They were possibly uh, um, uh, some type of advisors to a king, but probably were not kings. And I know your nativity shows that there's three of them, but the Bible doesn't even say a number. Uh, you probably show three wise men, but we don't know the number, nor do we even know if they're men. Now, based upon culture, we're assuming that they were men, uh, but some say there are as many as 12. And so there's kind of these things that we've pieced uh, together. 
Your nativity scene shows the wise men or the magi uh, gathered around the manger scene with baby Jesus. And most scholars would say it could have been as, as much as two years before uh, they arrived onto the scene. What we do know is that magi were most likely astrologers or interpreters of signs and omens. And they held to this ancient belief that, uh, that the signs in the heavens heralded great or terrible things depending on who was interpreting the sign. So what, from what we gather from the story is the Magi saw this sign in the heavenly realms and, and they packed up their stuff and they headed out to pursue the light or the pursue the source of the light. Now, I want us to catch the response of the Magi to the light that they saw. They positioned themselves, there was movement, they positioned themselves to find the light where they went to worship. And here's my first thought on our story today is that messy worship requires movement. Messy worship requires movement. Now remember our definition of worship. Worship is positioning yourself or moving, positioning yourself, movement, to be where God wants you to be or to do what God wants you to do. Anytime you position yourself to be involved in activities to point that, activities that point to Jesus, you are worshiping. Anytime we alter our agenda or alter our lives in the pursuit of the movement of God, we are worshiping. And often, that choice is messy. Now look at the movement of the Magi. It must have been difficult for them to make a thousand plus mile journey from wherever they came from, from the east, across rivers and desert areas. Camels were the only means of transportation in a desert scene. It was dangerous. They were easy targets for robbers. We knew we know that they were carrying gifts and a considerable uh, amount of resources. There had to have been time when they were discouraged and felt like turning back. Times of the burning heat of the noonday sun and cold nights without a proper place to rest and moments maybe where water and food became scarce. Any or all of these could have been sufficient reasons or sufficient grounds to abandon their hope and to stop moving forward. And yet they continued to press on. Messy worship always, listen, worship always requires movement. Without movement, there really is no worship. We will always have an excuse that will keep us stagnant in our faith and not worship. See, if, if you're facing a choice now whether or not you will move to be where God wants you to be and to do, be involved with what God wants you to be involved with, there will always be a reason that we'll have that we can give an excuse of why we will not move and why we will stay stagnant. It's why it's messy because we have to overcome ourselves and overcome our flesh and overcome our emotions that simply want to focus upon ourselves. Let me give you some examples. Worship requires movement. You had to overcome your emotions that told you to sleep in today, right? You had to overcome your emotions that said, well, do, do we have, maybe we won't go to church. Maybe we'll have an easy lunch. Maybe you ran through that personal inventory, that inner, like, is there anything in me that's hurting? Do I have a sniffle? Does my stomach hurt? Can I claim that I'm sick and really be sick and not have to go to church, right? You had to position yourself to be here in order to be where God wants you to be, to do what God wants you to do. And so in that decision that you made, you worship. Now, for uh, you know, our church, or probably anywhere from 75 to 100 adults, who for whatever reason, decided not to position themselves, themselves for worship. Those are the people that I hate. Now, I'm joking, people. Wake up with me. 
That joke went over way better first service. And I don't even like first service. Didn't laugh very well at that one either. So overcome your emotions to, to, to be here. And you positioned yourself in an attitude of worship. Could be the movement of choosing to participate while we corporately sing together. You can be here while we are worshiping or while some are worshiping. But if you don't position yourself to be where God wants you to be and to do what God wants you to do, you may be in an atmosphere of worship, but you may not be worshiping at all. You might be standing, looking at your phone, thinking about lunch, thinking about when is the next song, when is this over, how much longer until we get out of here. You have to adjust your life. You have to position yourself to be where God wants you to be, to do what God wants you to do in order for that to be worship. Some of you, you altered your emotions and you participated in proclaiming God's glory. It could be the movement of serving or volunteering, right? You have to alter your life or your schedule to be involved in kingdom work. Some of you, you served first service and you attend second service. First service, we have many people that attend first service and they serve second service. They altered, listen, they altered their schedule, altered their life to be where God wants them to be and to do what God wants them to do. They kind of made a mess out of their schedule in order to put a foot forward in worship. The reason that many of us maybe don't volunteer or don't serve is because we're not willing to make that movement, right? We're not willing to take that step to say, you know, I have to take two services or to be involved on a regular basis. That's difficult. That's why worship is messy. Maybe it's the the worship uh, and movement of giving where we have to alter our finances in order to be able to give to the things that are near to God's heart. It could be a lifestyle change where there is movement to reflect Jesus in our lives. It could be the movement of representing Jesus to others or representing Jesus to others, that you position yourself to tell someone about Christ, position yourself to pray for someone, position yourself to invite someone to church, and as you position yourself, you are in fact giving an act of worship. When you came to church today, you had a choice as to what kind of church we will be. It's not just my decision, it's our decision. You had a, church, a choice on what kind of church we will be. Will you position yourself where you will only focus upon yourself, or will there be movement toward others? Remember, worship, position yourself to be where God wants you to be and to do what God wants you to do. So think about this. Since you've been here, Did you meet anyone? Did you encourage anyone? Did you sow into anyone's life? Did you look for anybody new to kind of invest in them? Or was it primarily focusing upon yourself? Worship involves movement. You have to move yourself to be where God wants you to be and to do what God wants you to do. Whenever we are involved in activities that point to Jesus, that is worship. And without movement there is no worship and there is no worship without movement look at verses one through eight we'll continue after jesus was born in bethlehem in judea during the time of king herod magi from the east came to jerusalem and asked where is the one who had been born the king of the jews we saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him right there's movement there it is now when king herod there's your boo moment That was actually better than first service. I'm proud of you on that one. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Now, Herod was this brutal guy, paranoid, unpredictable ruler. 
he executed his wife. Funny story, first service, someone said amen at that point. That was awkward. (laughs) Executed his wife, and he killed three of his children. Odd moment, someone said amen at that moment as well. Now imagine the rage that, that Herod felt when the Magi came and said, hey, where's this Jesus, this, this, this king of the Jews that we've seen in the heavenlies? Herod is going crazy at this point, right? He's thinking, no one's taking my throne. There'll be no other king but me, not on my watch. Now, he knew, Herod was kind of a, a half Jew, uh, and so he knew of the Old Testament rumors or wives' tales, whatever you want to call it, he knew of the rumors, he didn't really believe them, he wasn't sure about them, you know, of that one day there would be a king that would be given to Israel. And so now the Magi show up and they're like, hey, where is this, this king that we've heard about? And Herod is not happy. Verse 3, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he'd called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. We're going back several hundred years. Uh, the prophet Micah, I believe, uh, who, who, um, who said that out of Bethlehem, this forgotten podunk town, that a blessing would come uh, to all people. And so they had this idea that something was, was, was going to happen. Uh, but they didn't wasn't able to put all of this together. So several hundred years, they're kind of uh, referring back to the prophets. And then verse 6, they say, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least of the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now Herod is troubled at this moment. The Magi are moving. They've packed up their stuff. They're positioning themselves to be where God is and to do what God wants them to do. But Herod isn't moving. He's not giving up his throne. He's not restructuring life. He's only looking to preserve his power and his own authority. Look at verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact uh, time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. He said with his fingers crossed. Herod wasn't looking to worship, he was looking to destroy. He wasn't taking any chances. Later, he ordered what is known as the Massacre of the Innocents, where every child two years and under uh, in Bethlehem was was put to death. His hopes was to uh, do a catch-all, and hopefully the, the Christ child who was born would be in that lot of male children. So the Magi are moving, they're positioning themselves to worship. Herod is not, if you're not moving, you're not worshiping. If you're not altering your life to be where Jesus is, you're really not getting the idea of Christmas. You're not, you're not, there's another level that you're not experiencing. So the first thing of messy worship, messy worship involves movement. Second, messy worship moves you lower. Look at verse 9. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Verse 11, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down. Remember, messy worship involves you getting lower, me getting lower, and they worshiped him. Now, bowing isn't something that we do here a lot in this country. Back then, there was a, a, a sign of a couple things. We'll put it up on the screen. Back then, bowing was a sign of honor and a sign of respect. 
And it really was a sign of submission. It was an act of worship. It was placing yourself underneath the person who you were bowing low to. Now, despite what your nativity scene says, the Magi probably were not there during the birth of Christ. Uh, Scholars say it could be anywhere uh, up to two years later that they arrived and worshipped. Now, think of this. This is what's interesting to me, and my mind works in warped ways. It's one thing to worship a cute, fat, squishy little baby. It's another thing to worship a two-year-old toddler. Have you been around two-year-olds? There's a reason they call it the terrible twos, right? And so here these guys show up, and now Jesus could be 24 months old. Only a two-year-old can stone-cold stare you down without blinking while pooping in his pants. So these guys show up, and now they're worshiping. It's just odd to me that if it's 24 months later, and here they are appearing, and they're worshiping, but they're bowing low. Jesus is no longer in a stable. He's no longer in a cave or outdoors. He's now in a house. Hopefully, they got him a crib by this time. He deserves that. And the Magi appear, and notice what they do. They make themselves lower. It was a sign saying that we submit ourselves to your kingship and your authority. And this is difficult because left to myself, I want to be on the throne of my life. I want to call the shots. I want to make the decisions. I want to rule myself. And yet when we come to Christ, all of a sudden Jesus says, well, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to submit to my kingship and my authority. That's not always easy. That's, that, that, that's, that's why we have to wrestle with it. And that is why it's messy. Movement towards God, to be where God wants you to be and to do what God wants you to do, means the pursuit of God, right? It means taking the path of downward mobility. This never, following Christ is really not about upward mobility. It's not about the spotlight shining on me. It's not about the spotlight shining on you. It's always pointing to Jesus. That's why Paul said this. He said, look, my life is really not even my life anymore but that I live that I might reflect Christ, that it's Jesus who lives in me. What is Paul saying? He's like, I have become lower that Jesus could become higher. This is what we see time and time again. John the Baptist was a forerunner of Jesus, and he showed up on the scene, and he was telling people, get ready, because God is about to bring the Savior of the world, the Messiah. And so John would begin to baptize people into this idea that the Savior was coming. And John's like, man, you don't get it. It's around the corner. He's about to show up. And soon Jesus makes his appearance, right? So it's 33 years uh, or 30 years going into um, uh, ministry and Jesus shows up. And all of a sudden Jesus starts to baptize more people than John the Baptist. And John's disciples come to him and they say, John, we got a problem Across the river, Jesus is baptizing more people than you are. They're like, look, we got to get a handle on this because he's going to become popular and you're going to be forgotten. And John says this. He's like, look, here's the reality. I must, or he must increase and I must decrease. He's saying, look, he needs to become greater and I need to become less. I am bowing my life down to promote him, not to promote myself. Look at verse 11 again. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. The word there used for worship is proskuneo. It means to turn toward to kiss or to lower yourself, to kiss the ground of 
a superior that they're standing on. My wife tells me all the time, honey, I kiss the ground you walk on. She never says that, all right? Lighten up. But that's the idea of this word. This idea of of worship is proskuneo, that they bow down and they kiss the feet of, or they kiss the ground of the person who is before them. It's a symbol of saying, you are far greater than I, and there's a reverence that is involved, because worship always involves movement, and worship always involves submitting ourselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Worship requires movement, positioning yourself to where God is calling you. And once you get there, it involves humbling yourself and submitting to the Lord God. And there's tension in this. It's messy because all of us want to maintain control of our lives. But Jesus says, if you're coming after me, something's going to change. That I am now in charge and you submit, you humble yourself before me. Let's look at the last one and we'll wrap this up. Uh, Verse 11, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother married, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and and myrrh. Notice that worship involved presenting something to God. Now, do not take this as just finances. Don't tune me out and say, here we go, I knew it was coming. It is way bigger than that. All right, so stay engaged with me. Messy worship will cost you something. Messy worship will cost you something. And there's tension in that because if left to myself, I'm a hoarder. And I will hoard my time and my money and my stuff and my talents and my schedule or I will give just until it's uncomfortable. And the moment it becomes comfortable, I back out to preserve myself. So let me ask you this. When was the last time that you gave something to God? Maybe it's a talent. Maybe it's part of your schedule. Maybe it's finances. When is the last time you gave something to God that brought a mess onto your life? When is the last time that following Jesus cost you something? And what if the thing that pleases God the most is when we mess up our lives for Him? When we rearrange our life to pursue him. When I mess up my schedule and I mess up my comfort and I mess up my plans uh, uh, to, uh, to reflect my desire to be pleasing to God. I, I want you to think of it this way. If you receive a gift from someone this Christmas, which is more meaningful to you? A random present off the Christmas aisle at Walgreens that was purchased on Christmas Eve because they forgot about you? Or a gift that took someone some time that they went out of their way, there was movement to get a gift for you. Where it took time and it took research and it took listening and they got to know what you liked and they picked out your favorite color and then they kept a secret. Listen, a gift that is given purely out of convenience is not that meaningful. On Valentine's Day, men... Your lady does not want a flower wrapped in cellophane that came out of a Home Depot bucket on the corner of Bell and Litchfield. It's not that meaningful. Now, I know some of you guys are thinking, Christmas Eve at Walgreens and a cellophane rose, that's my whole plan of romance, right? It's just not that, (laughs) exactly, it's just not that meaningful. And so the struggle is, the struggle is, is that our effort communicates the worth and the value of the person that we're giving something to. And there's a problem if the most we've ever given God 
is a gift off the Christmas aisle of Walgreens that was convenient and easy and cost us nothing. Messy worship, it will always cost us something. In the Old Testament, worship involved a sacrifice. It was foreshadowing to the sacrifice of Jesus who was declared the Lamb of God. And at one point, David needs an animal for a sacrifice and someone says, well, David, I have so much admiration and love for you. I have an animal. I just want to give it to you. And David's like, I'm not taking it for free. It has to cost me something. It says in 2 Samuel 24, he says, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God a burnt offering that has cost me nothing. In other words, he's saying, look, I won't present to God a rose wrapped in cellophane that came out of a Home Depot bucket because it doesn't communicate the value and the worth of the God that I'm, fi- that, that I'm following. This idea of cost, it really should be familiar to us because Jesus spoke about it. Matter of fact, Jesus told the people, he said, look, before you come after me, you need to count the cost. Before you decide to follow me, understand that it's going to cost you something and I want you to count the cost before you make that decision. You can never accuse Jesus of bait and switch. It's almost like he pushed people away at times saying, understand what you're committing to. And he said some radical things. But his idea was that following me is going to cost you something. And, as we wrap this up, if following Jesus costs you nothing, you may not be following Jesus. And I know that's harsh, and it's not fun American Christianity. But that's what Jesus said himself. Morgan, come on up. See, following Jesus, it may cost you your pride. Maybe God is telling you where I want you to go and what I want you to do is I want you to reconcile a relationship. And there's everything in you that's kicking against it, but your worship will, re- will involve movement to be where God wants you to be. You're going to have to decide. And then you're going to have to humble yourself to obey God and also humble yourself before this other person. And then it's going to cost you something because your pride is going to want to attack. But instead, God's calling you to forgive and to reconcile. Maybe it's going to cost you your time. And maybe 2018 is the year that God says, look, it's time that you give me your schedule. And it's going to cost you something. And it's going to be uncomfortable. But if you're going to worship, it's going to require movement positioning yourself to be where God wants you to be and do what God wants you to do. And maybe now God's calling you and saying, look, at 2018, it's the year that you begin to move. And it's the year you begin to humble yourself. And it's the year you begin to give me your schedule to be involved in activities that point to Jesus. Maybe it's going to cost you your comfort. You're inviting people to church. Hopefully you're inviting people to our Christmas Eve service. Maybe you're going to position yourself to pray for somebody at the store. It's uncomfortable. It's awkward. It's going to cost you something to follow Jesus. Maybe there's a financial cost of giving back a portion to God. It may cost you some sort of temporary sinful pleasure. Listen, worship is messy. And it's a choice that we have to make. And so here's what I want to ask you to do. Go ahead and bring the lights down. We're going to have a song just to kind of reflect on this, and then we'll dismiss. I want you to look back over 2017 in your life. Just take a moment, maybe close your eyes, or however it is that you reflect. Look back over your life in 2017 and ask yourself this. 
Was there any movement? Did you position yourself to be where God wants you to be and to do what God wants you to do? Did you alter your life in any way? Was there any movement? Some of you, you've, you've re-engaged God and you've re-engaged church and you've taken a huge step forward and there's, that's an element of worship for you. Think back, 2017. Did you position yourself? When we corporately worship, was that a part, something that you were a part of? Did you position yourself to be a worshiper? Was there any movement? If you had to demonstrate how you are lowering yourself, humbly bowing before Christ, what would that look like today? Have you submitted your schedule? Maybe surrendered your future plans that you want and really placed Him at the center of all things? How has your faith, how has following Jesus cost you something and if it hasn't cost you anything if it hasn't cost you a schedule or comfort or you know rearranging something in life that's a problem because Jesus says look if you're coming after me there's going to be a cost to it you can't buy it that's free he just gives it and continues to give it But he does say if you're coming, I'm in charge. And that means sometimes it's going to cost us something. Just evaluate your 2017. I believe that the Holy Spirit of God wants to speak to us about what 2018 needs to look like. That it would not just be a copy of 17 but that we would be involved in messy worship that involves movement. Messy worship that involves humility. Messy worship that costs us something. So Lord, would you speak to us about that? Would you convict us? And would you encourage us? Would your mercy be near to us? Would we not feel condemned, but would we hear and sense the presence of God calling us close? That your mercy continues to come around every time we fail. That forgiveness is right where we fall. Let us be messy worshipers. And not just have this mental assent or this mental belief. Let us move beyond that. Come to the altar in the Father's arms. Lord, let it be uh, this year that we would position ourselves to be worshipers of God, 
Let's position ourselves to be where you want us to be and to do what you want us to do. Let us overcome our emotions and overcome maybe our own selfishness that when we gather corporately that we would choose to position ourselves to be participants in worship and not merely observers. Speak over each of us what it is that you want us to do, where you want us to be, and that we would arrive and we would humble ourselves before you. That we would decrease, that you might increase. And then speak to us in the year to come what messy worship will cost us. That we would see our service as worship and our giving as worship and our singing as worship and inviting people to church as worship and helping the poor as worship and reaching out to somebody in the church as worship. For any time that we position ourselves to be involved with activities that point to Jesus, we are, in fact, worshiping. Let us be messy worshipers. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, church, if we can pray for you today, allow us to do that. Uh, you got a few days left to invite someone to Christmas Eve. I hope you come. It's going to be a great time, I promise you. Don't forget a dessert to share. We'll be having desserts afterwards out on the hardscape. God bless you guys. Hope to see you then.